everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with the one and only Marcus Samuelson. We... um, Marcus and I have a long, long standing friendship. Um, there's so many times that we've had so many in-depth conversations, but this is the first time that we've actually recorded anything. <laughs> so yeah. this will be really fun. Um, Marcus has a really unique history. Um, I remember when his three-star review came out from Aquavit, I was working for Mark Miller, uh, Red Sage, and it was just a game changer, not only for Marcus, but for Scandinavian cuisine and what he was doing. So Marcus, thank you for taking time. I know you're busy. Um, I know you've got a million things going on, getting ready to put kids back in school. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And, you know, I do feel uh, that everything that we cooked, all the events we've done together, but beyond that, I always always feel such a great kinship to you because, uh, you know, we came up at the same time. We worked for some of the same people and it's, you know, you come up, you think about the people you come up with, you think about their past, our past together that we share. And um, you look around, everybody's not around anymore. And you, you start taking, you cannot start taking people for granted. I think the pandemic really showed us that, you know, don't take anyone for granted. And, uh, you know, we're here, uh, we're standing, we're working, we're grinding, and I feel so much gratitude to you and um, just appreciate everything that you put out there in the food space, right? Because it always makes us think, it always makes us talk about it. Sometimes it makes me think, shit, why didn't I think about that? Which is awesome, right? It's the best way. Uh, but it's also, you know, you always put a smile on my face. So it's good to see you, Chris. You too. Um, thank you. That means a lot. I have to tell you, everybody, this funny story. Marcus and I did an event in the Bahamas together. Was it the Bahamas or was it? Oh, Bar- Barbados. Barbados. Yes. And everybody was talking about Marcus's entrances were like <laughs> over the top, right? And I'll never forget. I was like, I got to get him. I got to get him. Yeah. Once. And you did. And you did. And we full on, they got me in an all black wetsuit playing the James Bond theme. And I came ripping in on a jet ski and they stripped off these two women in traditional Barbation outfits, just stripped off the wet suit. And I'm standing there in a full chef coat. Marcus was like, damn, you got (laughs) I was entering it kind of like Prince in sort of like in sign of the time mode or something like that. But you did like, uh, Led Zeppelin meet Liberace or something like that. It was so over the top. It was so good. And everybody on the beach stopped what they were doing, right? And just looked at, what is that? And I think still to this day, no one, no chef demo uh, have ever started better than that. That was a good one. You got me. That was good. That was good. Uh, I do recall you and I trying to figure out how to paraglide or parachute into Aspen that year. And Vault was like, nope, 
No, you no. can do anything you want. Not that one. I don't uh, need yeah. you crashing into the side of the mountain. <laughs> that uh, was a funny one. That was yeah, a good one. That was so, good. Marcus, I mean, a lot of folks have read Yes, Chef. I have. There's so many folks out there who have. But I really want to talk about how you are, where you are now. Because I think there's there's a definite disconnect with our world that we're working in right now. And, and it's there are a lot of people who have become very successful very quickly. And I think it's really important to discuss how the process happens, right? Like there's a reason why you, why you are where you are and you're able mm -hmm. to do what you do because of your training, your background. And, and I'd love it if you'd explain a little bit about that and, and you sure. can as far back as you want or, um, yeah. but I think it's a really powerful message to communicate. Yeah. Well, Chris, first of all, you gotta, it sounds cliche, but you gotta love what you do. Not a little bit, a lot. And I love two things. I love people and I love food. And trust me, I it would, my life would be much simpler if I didn't think about food, if I didn't think about rhubarbs in late May, if I didn't think about when can I get the best ramps in April? If I didn't think about, um, you know, all these things that are, is in our head, right? Uh, we are very different chefs. We are very different. I'm, I'm talking about the chefs that there's a level of obsession that you got to have about these things that may or may not be healthy, but like, then you have to figure out how do I operate in a healthier way? which we've talked about before, and you really stood on the world stage and talked about, but that level of obsession about ingredients and passion about the person who's gonna bring it to you and passion about going further to find this person and, and what community, so are you supporting by buying this ingredient? Those are the type of things that I think about a lot. The other part I think about is the people that raised me, my grandmother, my uncles, that they weren't chefs. But when you talked about your friends, your new venture in the smokehouse, my uncles, drunk uncles, beautiful uncles, <laughs> you know, messed up uncles, whatever, they all ran herring smokehouses. Smokehouse and, you know, I grew up in that environment. Now, my mom used to say, I left, we left five, six o'clock in the morning because we got the fish, we dried the fish, cured the fish, and then we smoked it. My mom's last comment to me when my uncle came to pick me up, Tushton, was always, Tushton, don't give Marcus any of your coffee. And I'm like, eight. I'm not drinking coffee. Did it I realize, in it? I, of course. Now I realize that, right? Because <laughs> he had this spiked coffee. And I'm like, why would I ever? But it was like, so I grew up around people that worked around that. And, you know, there was a very rigid schedule. You're up by five. You're in the boat by six. You're back by nine, you're cleaning it, you're setting yourself up for the next day. Then you sell it to the market and then you're done by around one or two o'clock. And then when you go back up and shower, then at three, there was a meeting, we call it the lying bench. Cause all the fishermen came down to the bench and they started talking about how, how big the fish that they caught. And, and I was like, we had a horrible day, but I wasn't allowed even to talk, right? <laughs> so I grew up around this about around fairy tales and and, and and craftsmanship. And on my other side, uh, on my grandmother's side, you know, she was a cook's cook. 
So she taught me, this is how you kill a chicken. And this is how you pluck it. And this is how you make chicken soup. And this is how you preserve it so it can stay for four days. You know, so I grew up around that. And she didn't even think about herself as a chef. This is just what you do. Go and get me apples. We have apple trees. We have plum trees. So I grew up in this uh, space around food. When I became a teenager, I had an amazing teenager, uh, uh, mentors that guided me and said, this can be a career. Because where I grew up in Gothenburg, the path to restaurants and career, you know, this is way before the new Nordics and all of that stuff, was not clear, right? And early, one mentor said to me, Gustav told me, you should go abroad. You should not go to Stockholm. And I was like, hmm, what does that mean? It's like, you should just go to abroad. You should go to France. Uh, because he said, for you to get into Stockholm, it's going to take you a year or two. You might as well focus that year on being the best international kitchen you possibly could. And he and I was like, how do I get into France? He's like, figure it out. <laughs> I'm like, thank you for that. All right. And that, and I think that's really important, right? Yeah. Like that is a major part and a major step. It's like, you want to work somewhere, figure out how to get there, yeah. figure out how to get in contact, make that. I mean, this is pre yeah. Instagram, internet. DMs, internet, you would write letters. You would wait yeah. for letters to come back. You're like, can yeah. I stage? Open up, send your CV. You'd send out like 30 of them. And then you yeah. get maybe one back and it's like, sorry, we're full. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like that stuff was real, right? Like, but it also kept you going, right? Yeah. And it, it's very hard to explain when you can. We can YouTube. You and I can go on YouTube, any restaurant we want in the world right now, and feel close to it and understand their techniques. But what we cannot understand is it, right? We don't know how it smells. I can tell you how George Blanc's kitchen smells at any various point of the day. At seven o'clock, I know how the boulangerie smells. At nine o'clock, still, I know when the game meat comes in, how cold it has to be, where you have to hang it, right? Like all of these things that actually makes that plate different. I have like, but if I wouldn't have traveled there and only experienced on one on on a, on online, it wouldn't have been different. And I had many trips like that. I remember coming to Japan for for the very first time in my life and understanding, not even understanding umame, but it'd be really truly introduced to umame. And I was a kid, I was like, what is this? But I know I'm addicted. What is this fermentation? What is miso? Again, if it was just sent to me in a box, I wouldn't know what to do with it. But when you're around it and you have mentors around you that can slowly walk through, Here's what dry miso looks like. Here's black wet miso looks like. This is what red miso looks like. You know, there's, and so I've had moments and people that, of course, pushed a lot myself, but also had amazing mentors. So when I, you know, when our restaurant get acknowledged or I'm fortunate enough to win an award, I know it's not tennis, and even tennis is not a single sport because you, you know, you have your parents or somebody that drove you to practice and you have those coaches. And I think about the tribe that got us wherever that, that destination is. And that would make cooking and that moment so special. It's true. I mean, there's a team. We are a team, right? There's no I in team. No, no. 
And and those faces for me are different. Some of them are Japanese, some of them are Swiss, some of them are French. And I, I, will, I will tell you, in many ways, being Black gave me clarity, what was not allowed. I knew that my rope was just thinner and skin is smaller and thinner and and it just helped me being focused in a way that I had to be and it you know like you're a kid you're working in Switzerland you're 60 commies and sous chef tells you from day one you're starting in March and he said in August there's only 20 of you there here and you're like what's gonna happen to the other 40 you're all gonna get fired because you're gonna mess up and the sous chef is like 26, super excited about, I don't know one. So take a good look to the guy to next to you. Chances is that he is not going to be here. And he was right. When August came, every year there was 20 of us. And I was always on the, I mean, I was on the cusp many times, but I was always on the side of not getting fired. And part of it was that I knew that when those kids, and you're kids, right? You, you're rooming, you're, you're roommates, you're kids. But when they had to go, you know, when they want to go continue to party at one o'clock and we have to be up at 7.30, I knew I had to get, I, it was time for bring my ass home because I knew that that would not go for me as well as it did for them. And so it, it, it's, it's, you know, whatever identity you are, whether you're female, black, white, Jewish, whatever it is, especially when you're other, it, it can at that time, I had to use that tool to uh, focus and use it as a discipline tool. I know we're talking about 30, 35 years ago. Is we live in a very different world, thank God. Uh, but I just that was my way to navigate through that. I mean, you just sending your son to college, he's gonna have his way to navigate through his obstacles because. You guys can't be there saving, help him out on everything, even if you want to, right? So yeah. however he's going to solve, it's going to be relevant to his circumstances in this era. And it's going to be great, but he's going to have obstacles. And the obstacles are not necessarily always bad. It's just, it's it's about growth, right? That's interesting that you talk. I mean, I, can, I can't imagine, Marcus, being, I mean, were you the only person of color in that... <laughs> Yes, in all of in all of it. So, yeah. being the only person of color in a French kitchen with sixty commies, you're visible. You're pointed at first. You you unfortunately become a target, and that yeah. became your guiding. You knew it in your back of your mind, and you changed the way you live to be mm -hmm. to to know how to navigate through the BS of that. Yeah, yeah. which but is. I always felt I had a high, the, the purpose for me was, if the value proposition, Chris, was that I didn't learn anything, I would have left. Of course. I, felt I learned so much. And I, I don't agree with the way how I learned it, how it was most of the time taught, sometimes taught, but I learned so much. And it was my way of navigating. In, in France, I was not the only person of color. There was a whole crew of Japanese kids that spoke French. They were incredible, by the way. Yeah. They were better French chef than most of the French chef had. They were, when I say incredible, and George Blanc knew, he's like, this crew here 
is the best. Yeah, it's the best. And we all learn all of these guys. And so, but most of the times I was the only person of color, but we were also there on a larger purpose, right? We all came from all over the world. If we didn't like it, we could leave. There were kids, there would be a kid. I remember rooming with this American kid, Adam, in, in one of the places at George Blanc. Every night he's like, I don't know why chef is picking on me. It's like, he's not picking on you, but he's picking on me. And he had me peeling these tomatoes. And I'm like, just keep peeling the tomatoes, man. It's like, why am I, I didn't come here to peel tomatoes. I think I should say something. I said, Adam, don't say anything. Just don't say anything. Just let peel tomatoes. And every now and then when you peel tomatoes, peel them faster and they might, you know, and better and cleaner. And maybe next day you're going to, you know, you're going to be on asparagus. You know what I mean? He's like, nah, I should say something, man. My dad is a big client of this restaurant. I should say something. And I was like, all right, please don't say anything. This is not good. Uh, you, you're gonna, this is not gonna work out. I think it was 9.05. We entered the kitchen at 8. 9.05, Adam packed his knife and was out. And 10.30, I don't know what this kid was, was like. 10.30, I'll never forget it. There was another kid there. So it was an hour and a half. I'm like, did this guy, where did he sleep? Well, how can you have a backup? But it made me realize too, and this is like, this is like some Putin-esque shit, right? They put so much fear in you. And if that guy would have come at three, I thought it would have been a for a quick turnaround. No, 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 no. Right away, there's another person here and no one ever talked about peeling the tomatoes again. That's it. <laughs> it's, I think it's interesting when you, like we've all had those moments in foreign kitchens where we're working and we feel, I mean, a lot of us have, right? Yes. That you're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> right? Like I staged at La Tante Claire with Pierre Kaufman. That's how yes. I got a debone pig's feet, right? Yes. And I, there was two major moments in my time there, but I remember being in the basement Yes. It's always a basement. It's always a basement. A basement. It's always a basement. Chef comes in and he goes, just puts a case of trotters on the table. Yeah, of course. Okay, pay attention, kid. Yes, chef. And I'm like, okay, the good news is I'm in I'm in London. They're speaking English. This yeah. is perfect. I understand yeah. direction. I'm not too bad. He boned a trotter. I kid you not. It was yeah. another a minute. I was in awe. Yeah. In awe. I yeah, mean, and they call Pierre the bear right? Pierre the bear. His hands are massive. And I've got mm -hmm. big hands and his hands like, yeah, fine, right? Yeah. Just like, he's looking at me, not looking at the mm. trot all the time. Done. He goes upstairs to start working service, comes back downstairs. And I think I've done like four. It's like, yeah, it's like, an you, hour later. You, no, you feel good about the four too. Like, I'm no, like four. and yeah. he's like, Oh, Nick shit. And I'm just like, Oh, oh absolute embarrassed like totally humbled um but now you know years years later and you probably have the same experience that individual that you worked with back then who you went to work for now you can have you have a different relationship with of course a respect right. level right and now i can i can reach out to pierre and and we can go like last time i was in london we went and had lunch and he took my son right. to see a soccer match right like that experience is priceless but if it wasn't for Pierre, I would have never learned how to debone trotters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had the day, just like you said, the game day, right? Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole duck came with foie inside. So mm -hmm. what did I get to do? 
I got to pluck. And that was the mm-hmm. worst. I smell. That, Imagine going back to a hotel. You're staying somewhere. With, I'm on vacation with my wife yeah. in Europe. I come home and I smell like a game ward. Yeah. It was awful. I covered yeah. in feathers. <laughs> no, but and I, I, not to be nostalgic, but like, I remember coming to Switzerland to Victoria Jungfrau, this grand hotel. And I told everybody, I told my friends, I told everybody, I'm so lucky that Instagram and social media didn't exist. I was ready for it. I was ready for it. I'm going to be this badass on the line. And there was a lineup every day. And then you could read your name where you were supposed to go and work at. And I was like, I look at Entremet. Because I thought, I, they're probably going to put me on Entremet or Garmagier. That makes the most sense. I was the youngest guy in the kid. And in the kitchen, didn't speak French well. And did not. I spoke German well, but not as good as I should. First week. Not even on. And I'm like, must be a mistake. So that's one of the sushi. Oh, no, no, you're here. You, you're where you're supposed to be. That was in the garden. And starting my my chefing in Europe in the garden, you know, and I thought it was so bad. It was so horrible. After the second day, I'm like, I'm loving this shit. Because in the garden, now you're dealing with entremet. You, you're literally setting them up in the refrigerator for the purple carrots versus the yellow carrots, whatever it is, right? And as long as you do it better, faster, and there's a learning process of understanding it. And of course, it was also my time to learn more German and French. And I could do it in a way that was a little bit calmer, right? Yeah. So they knew what they were doing. They put me in the position that they thought I could handle. But of course, for me, I thought it was a big diss, right? And I learned a ton. And And when I left there six weeks later, I felt... The garden work was the most important station in the whole uh, restaurant. I had arguments with my roommate. You know, he was from Ireland. What do you know? You're from Galway, whatever, right? And then they moved me into Entremet and eventually Garager and eventually uh, uh, Beyond and so on, right? I went through all the stations. And it was their way of setting me up for eventually be on the line and be able to deal with all the stuff at 8.30 that goes down at night, Right. But of course, you as a kid, success, right? You're setting you up for success, success right? Exactly. It's their, it was their way of setting you up with yeah. language skills, understanding yeah. product, what's right, what's wrong, what's fresh, what's not. Yeah. Those are those are like priceless moments. Yes, yes. And it was, you know, and I was fortunate. I had my parents and and a couple of people I could call on Sundays once a week. I don't score no cell phone, and you know, I just like. I need to speak to my dad. I just need to speak to my dad because he knew, he didn't know cooking, but he understood structure and being a professional and he worked abroad. He was a geologist. So it was really helpful. It was two calls going on at the same time. Speaking to my grandmother about, did you know there was purple carrots? She's like, I don't believe you. Well, I'll take a picture and send it home to you. And, you know, 20 days later, she got a picture of purple carrots, right? There was whatever ingredients, you know, there was, right? <laughs> and then it was this other conversation with my dad. It's like, well, you know, you didn't do the army, which was voluntary, which was mandatory at the time in Sweden. So this is your, you know, structure moment. This is your discipline moment. And you know, you can't leave. So my parents traded that for instead of me doing the army, it's like, you're going to be in Switzerland. And it was... So we, you know, for, it worked out for both of us, but it was moments like that that I realized that I was so fortunate of having people 
because I clearly didn't understand the past constantly, which is part of being 21 and 20, right? Like you think you understand the past, but you might not, you know? And then you have someone saying, hey, hey kiddo, you're working really hard here. I see you, but trust me on this one. It's, it's an interesting way to look at it because I don't think they're like the garden now, as we're older, right? We're like, man, all I want to do is have my own skin yes. at the restaurant and I can walk out and pick my, but back then, no, man, I got to pick weeds and go, yeah. like, you know, yeah. cut herbs. And like, that's the most Zen moment we all mm-hmm. have right now. Yeah. But then we couldn't because we wanted that, that anxiety, that, that, that yeah. moment of feeling like we're giving all we had, but really had nothing to give at that point. No, I had nothing. I I, <laughs> I, I, I can truly tell you I had nothing. I had my energy uh, and my notebook. Yep. And uh, I had Yes Chef. We yep. Chef. Yes Chef. Uh, we, we, we Chef. You know, that was what, what, what. But, it, but it was a blast. And then, you know, also, Chris, I will tell you about another defining moment. You know, yes, I was 23. We got to New York. Chef passed away, which was extremely unfortunate. I became the chef very early, a little bit too early. But I would say another defining moment, 96, 97. Charlie Trotter comes to eat in my restaurant with Pierre Gagnier. Oh, my and, God. You know, and I studied these guys the way maybe people have Messi or Ronaldo cards or whatever, Mbappe cards, whatever. Whatever is the thing, right? I studied, I'm like, I knew that Pierre Gagnier came from Saint-Étienne, like, da, 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 da. I, like, I studied these guys, right? And Charlie comes into the kitchen with uh, with Chef and says, you need help. But I'm here to help you, too. You need editing. Because I, I think I sent him, like, 20 courses, whatever, and they were kind enough to, like, actually sit through the four-hour process of doing it. They could have left. They should have left after an hour and a half. But we just kept, because I didn't even know how to edit. I just cooked. We just cooked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he said, thank you. That was great. But you need help. But I'm also here to help you. A month later, I get a fax. And so he's like, edit these recipes for me. And send them back to me. And, you know, that's how it was with Chef Trotter. I was part of doing recipe testing for some of those amazing books. But in trade-off, anytime he had a major chef event, and I'm talking like Ferran Adria in 98, when not the world knew about Ferran Adria or Tatsuya from Australia, like these incredible global chefs, you can come, you can be part of it. Just stand in the kitchen and help out. And, you know, every time I came up, I met, you know, Matt and I met the whole kitchen crew and obviously we were same around same age so we started to become friends and it transformed my kitchen in New York you know and uh so I had mentors I also had another mentor not to beside Charlie Trotter that pushed me it was also Miss Leah Chase you know uh, from New Orleans and of the incredible restaurant Duke Chase that only been open for 82 years or something like that still going right yeah but she always said to me, aim high, Marcus. You can aim higher. You have to be transformative. And she taught me a lot of things about how to be an ally, but also how to be an advocate. Said, you don't have enough black art on the walls in your restaurant. Why is that? 
You can't just admire them going to galleries. You have to purchase. You have to buy. You have to support. You know, she always pushed me. And that's many reasons why Red Rooster have so much art from African-American artists, right? Like, so being around Chef Trotter, being around Chef Leah Chase, you know, one in Chicago, one in in in, in New Orleans, both food meccas on the map of America, very different experiences, but both iconic chefs. So for me to be in the middle of all that, I feel very blessed. But you were young, but yet smart enough to accept help. Oh, I needed it. I knew I needed it. <laughs> but, but no, Marcus, and, and that, let's just talk about that in a whole, right? Yeah. That is the hardest thing for type A personality people mm -hmm. to do, right? And let's let's be honest. We're both type A. We know it. We don't like to ask for help. Yeah. Because we think, we know we can get it done, whether it's yeah. the hard way, the right way, or the wrong way. Yes. We're going to get it done. But that isn't always the smartest way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to reach out or being able to accept help when somebody else reaches out to offer it. Mm -hmm is the biggest measure of your growth and success mm -hmm. as a chef and as a human, because we can't do it all by ourselves. We definitely can. And it was also great to see that, uh, you know, with Chef Trotter, you saw almost an extension of what I saw in Georges Blanc, what I saw in France and in Switzerland, this grandness of chefing, but it was one note. It was cooking for the 1% of the 1%. The kitchen was not... Charlie had a very diverse kitchen. Yes. I don't think people have not given enough credit for that. You know, employee number one, there was like Apparently. a lot of people. Yeah, of course, there was a lot of people in there. You know, one at one point, there was a blind chef cooking on it. You know, like he, he did a lot of different things that he was a little bit ahead of social media and stuff. So he hasn't been acknowledged in the same way. But, and then seeing Leah that really pushed the activist in me, right? Go standing at Dookie and seeing, hearing the stories that, oh, part of the civil rights movement was decided on this diner. What? Yeah, this is the first integrated restaurant in America. So the diner room that you take for granted every day where black, white, all kinds of people are eating, that was illegal before she broke the law, right? And what what is, for me, the whole point about coming to America was, you know, I was so inspired by punks and hip hop and rebe re rebels, you know? So like, I just didn't know a rebel came in a 75 year old lady that f flicked the table on, on, on the system, right? But that is for me, the definition of why I am in America, right? To see and be around that, you know? So I feel very blessed about that. That's, I mean, that's, it's powerful moments and power. There's a lot of powerful people that we never really realize how powerful they are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in so many ways. Yeah. 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 And, and it, that's why I just think it's so interesting to cook here and be part of this community, um, you know, during COVID. I miss my community more than anything. And, uh, you know, Chef Waxman told me, Marcus, you need, you need to call people. You need to call a chef a day. doesn't matter. Blind cook, somebody you work with, somebody you haven't worked with, because that's the only way you're going to get through this shit. You're not used to this shit. You're not built for this. 
you know, Jonathan is, you know, such a great friend and mentor to us, but he just like, this is what, this is what you, this is what I'm describing for you. You need this. And he yeah. was right. Uh, and then, you know, being on the call from independent restaurant coalition and all the things that come out of that, uh, working with Jose on, you know, World Central Kitchen, those were the, I just needed the reps, right? Our roles were already, you know, at the close to restaurant, at the open restaurant, we did it on Zoom, but we all tried different things, right? But when I put my chef clothes on and, you know, just stood at Rooster maybe three hours a day to hand out food, four hours a day, then go home, shower, be with my family. It was a much shorter day, but it was the only way for me to actually don't go nuts. My wife's like, you can't be around the house like this. You're not welcome. Like this doesn't work. You can't, you can't be angry. You can't be everyone's in the in the weeds. Everyone is going through this. And it was, you have to stop thinking about we're the only family that goes through this. And for me, just like for you, it's like, well, we built this from scratch. I don't have an exit. This is what I do. This is what we provided for. So it's all of those emotions going on. And I'm not speaking about something that I only felt, but I'm just sharing with you. No, I know. And I, I mean, you called me. I was, I think actually you're like, uh, I think you're the first person. Yeah. (laughs) That it's, it's, and we talked about it. You're like, what's going on? What are you doing? What's going to happen? And I think you, you had called me right when I closed. Yeah. I actually, no, it was two days before I hadn't even announced it. Yeah. And I think I was like, you and I were just talking about it. I'm like, I got to shut her down. And it's, It's it's a time where I think we're all still and people are still trying to figure out how to get back to the norm, yeah. right? And it has affected everybody. It's affected business. It's changed the way things are. But I think we are very fortunate that we chose a career. We give taste memories. Yeah. We don't pull teeth. We don't put zeros and ones in sequential order. So your phone yeah. does something really funny, right? Or, or you know, we have a a career where we make people smile. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's, I keep going back to that when there's those moments where I get frustrated or angry, mm-hmm. I have to go back to that. And it's like, Hey, I have people that actually are excited because they had this brought them back to their childhood, a flavor brought them back to a time that made them just so happy. Those that's why we do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm also totally in love with the craft i'm like i always say hey if you can show me something that i get the same amount of enjoyment for please show me i'll go there tomorrow (laughs) i still haven't found anything that i because it hits on so many different levels not just the people it's not just touching the food it's also the the chess of it to really figure out a dish how can it hit on these flavor notes that we know how can it hit on aesthetic and texture and fragrance and how do I have a point of view that I think is so special that maybe no one else sees because that happens too. But that process for me, it's a very, it's still, I haven't figured it out, you know, and I love it. Well, we'll never figure it all out, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the joy of what we do. Yeah. I mean, if we think we know everything, we're foolish. Yeah. You can always learn whether it's from, you know, any other culture, any employee, there's always something new. There's always something that 
a flavor balance, a combination. It's just, yes, it's hard to say something is 100% new in cooking, yeah. right? We It's been done. There's a reason why I always say, look at history before you try to create future, because there's always a part of history that really will show you its true colors, right? And, yeah. and where it came from and the hows and the whys. But man, you go, like when you went to Japan, you mentioned the misos, oh but God. just let's just talk about the fish techniques, right? Yeah. Cutting and the usage of all of those parts uh, and cuts of fish that we would normally dispose of, right? Yeah. In the States. So it's really about how do you integrate those techniques into the cuisine that you want to prepare? Yeah. And I think there is, you know, obviously with social media and internet, obviously the world gets smaller and that's beautiful. Yeah. So it's not like I'm just banging up on, on you know, I think it's a great way we connect in it completely. We can talk like this. There's so many different ways to do it. My whole thing for young chefs is I always tell them, be curious. And once you think you're curious, be 50% more curious than that. Because that is somewhere in there is where the past can open a new door, right? And the luxury about being a young chef in America today is that you can... The challenge in the luxury is that you can go to any mid-level city now and learn so many different cuisines. That's an opportunity and sometimes also a challenge because you don't have to leave often to know seven different cuisines, for example, right? Yep. There's something really good about that, but it's also a challenge because you don't get exposed to new cultures in the same way, right? So you have to be your own guideline or really be like, it's time for me to break out. You know, uh, and so I do think that it's an exciting time. Uh, for me, what's exciting about cooking today is that the next generation are flipping the table of, of what they define as a restaurant, whether that's cooking on TikTok or doing a food truck or doing a pop-up or doing a four walls or doing catering. So the key for me is that the, you're cooking and you're finding your audience. And that's something I learned a lot from my line cook that we grew up and you got to be a bad line cook, sous chef, and then one day you're going to have your own restaurant. So it's almost a linear path as that can be. Today, there's so many different ways to take part and take joy in the industry and share. And this is where we are in 2023. Imagine where we are in 2033. I don't know, but I know it's yeah. going to be exciting. You know, yeah. when the menus be done, you know, through AI. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, like, look, at you're, you're talking about that. And it's like, look, you mentioned New Nordic. And then, you know, you have the former chef of Noma, who's running an entire school food program called Brigade. Yeah. Right. And that is, a, to me, is a powerful medium, right? We're feeding children. And, and, and Dan is doing such an incredible job of it. Yeah. Right. So there is no bad route in food, right? Whether you're feeding, you know, the elderly in an elderly community, you know, giving them the tastes and flavors that they miss and love or feeding the next generation of chefs, scientists, some kid's going to walk on Mars, change yeah. the world, right? Because we're feeding them well. And I think that's why I'm so excited to see Brigade happen. How many people can say, I was the chef of Noma and now yeah. I'm going to be, I'm running an organization called Brigade yeah. Eating 
children in schools all over. And that's a perfect example of what you're talking about, finding what fits you and what feels right. I'll tell you this great chef hat that sometimes we have on us that we carry, it gets tired really quick unless you stretch it. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. First of all, kids. When you're in the kid, when you're in the cook in the kitchen cooking for your kids, and they're about five years old, nothing is a bigger leveler for any parent. Is <laughs> like, how can I get my kid to eat more or better? Right? Diet loves cooking with me. That doesn't mean he loves eating everything we cook, right? <laughs> so I can bring in like my my friend's son that has never cooked a day in his life, but his food's gonna taste better to Zion, right? So in the in the in front of your kids, it's such a great level up. Another one is uh, when I cook in Ethiopia in the countryside where I'm from, from the village. They're like, first of all, you're a chef, but you don't know this. You don't know how to make a fire fast enough, but you don't know how to make a proper injera. You don't know how to pound the coffee right. So I'm after like three minutes, I'm in their way. And the seven-year-old is like, move. You're If you're not adding value to what's going on here, step aside and come back when this is done. So what's great for me has been because of being connected to three different countries, I'm constantly pushed in these environments where just being a restaurant chef might not be the solution to what great food in that part of the world is, right? If I go back to my uncle's smokehouse, there are very strict ways of how you cure the fish, what that mixture is, how long it has to hang and dry, what temperature do you smoke in, when do you open it up, how do you wrap it? If you don't do that right, they don't care that, you know, the we want top chef masters or whatever you think it is, right? Like, and so I think one of the great things a chef can do is go outside your that restaurant room and can you actually cook in these different environments, whatever those challenges are. Now you you're really testing your way, you know, like let's say the way Francis Melman is doing in 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 Argentina, oh. right? Like he's constantly challenging himself in the way of what great, how great food can be, be perceived. And I think that has always been fascinating for me. And that's actually part of the reason why I did, is one of the reasons why at some point I stopped at Aquavit and then turned to Red Rooster. That's gotta be asking the that question that I struggled with <laughs> was, how do you cook beyond the 1% for only the 1% of the 1%. How can you have a greater impact than just, uh, you know, cooking in Midtown, which was great, but it was not the only thing in the world that was interesting to me in the world of food. So I I would really love <laughs> for everybody to hear how you dealt or deal with things that didn't work, whether it be a dish or mm -hmm. a failure, because I mm -hmm. think the measure of our success is how we learn to deal with problems, right? And um, I think that's a really powerful thing, being able to take a critique or being able to rise from the ashes, right? When, when things don't, when they go pear-shaped. And I think it's a really hard thing for young generation or, I mean, I was hard for me. It still is hard for me when I blow it. Uh, <laughs> I always want to make, do better, right? No, I mean, 
only a chef to chef can understand what it feels that day after you close the restaurant. And I've tried to explain it for friends and non people not in the industry, but you can tell left like 10 seconds there. They don't, they don't know what you're talking about because it's not just that you failed yourself. You also failed that purveyor. You also failed that dishwasher that, you know, showed up for you. The, the, the line cook that really said, Hey, I'm leaving this job to come and work for you. I love this vision because so much of our work in the restaurant is you're part of something. And it's like the longest hangover that only a chef, another chef can understand. And it's, it's very dark. I have to snap out of it right away. Uh, it's not a space that I'm even, I am comfortable talking to you about it, but it's, it's, I struggle with it, you know, because it, you put so much into the restaurants and then like, for example, when I opened Mercado in the meatpacking, I always wanted to share the journey about a Pan-African cuisine food. And I thought New York City, downtown, most open-minded uh, guest in the world or not, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't the guest's fault. Like the structure, the way we structured the restaurant, we, you know, the rent, the structure of the deal was that we couldn't be open it. And I should have, I should have known that. That wasn't anyone's fault. It was my fault. I just wanted to do it so bad. And, you know, I even did a book before. So I knew I could set up, there was an audience there, right? But maybe that was something that people want to read about 2007 and not ready to eat on a Monday or a Tuesday, right? Today, 15 years later, the world looks very different. So I realized maybe wrong, wrong steel, maybe wrong timing, but I so believed in that journey. But when I looked in the dining room of Red Rooster, I knew that I had to go to the success of building customer base from Aquavit and I had to go through Mercado. If I didn't have that stock, so much Mercado was the opening band to Red Rooster. And I knew I had to go through that stop. I didn't know it at the time to make Rooster really yummy and delicious, right? I thought it was about explaining this African ingredient. It was not about that. It was really about maybe not explaining the ingredient, but making it delicious and something for the customer to hang on to and understand. And I was... I got to make this the most authentic version of itself. And just making that twist is part of why Red Rooster connected so much. Part of it, there's many reasons, but it was one of the reasons. Yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of times where people say there's a direct path and you mentioned it earlier. There is no direct path. There is no, there used to be. Yeah. It, there used to be a line, like you said, like you start as a cook, you work your way up, you have a restaurant and then it's just, it, there's a path of consistency, but now more than ever, there isn't. And, but there's always that question, would you do things differently? Would you choose it? And I think when people ask that question, I get frustrated because I, if I chose something different, I wouldn't be where I am now. No. And we learn whether it's a mistake, whether we faltered, whether we tripped over our own feet, 
whatever it may be, the end means is what we are now. Yeah. And you can't always look back. You have to continue to look forward and you can, you can choose to, what's the best way to say it? You can, you can use it as a catalyst to move forward and you can, you can review it and and talk to your therapist about it or however it may be, but it's not going to change the situation now. So let's just focus on what it did. Like you just said, it opened the door for the next step. And I think that's the hardest, that's the hardest thing to realize when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and very often our therapist is the knife, the cutting board, the stove, and the plate. Even if we go and get help, we end of the day come back to that relationship, right? That sharp knife. Yeah. Uh, it might not, we might cook for one, we might cook for 100. You know, that moment when you turn the stove off, that heat, relationship to heat, your reps, and... You know, like yesterday, for example, we had an event and, you know, people needed more food. And I was so calm in this chaos, right? We have an open kitchen. Maybe it was like 100 guests looking into the kitchen. And I get calm in that environment. And you see your line cooks are running around. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the bass. We're going to butcher them up. And at the same time, I look at Chef Ed that I worked with for 50 years get the chickens, get the birds going in the back, let them rest. And it was like looking about maybe 140 people. And in that moment, I am as calm as a possible. And it's, 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 it's like jazz to me or hip hop, you know, I'm just like grooming. And then the guests, you know, like it's open kitchen, people take a picture and everything. And then I'm like, no, 20 minutes later, whatever it is, we, you know, we're, we're out of it. And they're like, I'm looking at my my cooks and everybody's like, I think, yeah, that's that's what we do, right? So when we feel, we're like firemen sometimes, you go into a storm and feel totally in charge and calm. And for the outsider looking in, it's like, that is crazy. But for us, it's like any chef that we know would have just been calm in that situation, you know? Live in the eye of the storm. You yeah. are the calm in the center of the hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the nature of what we are. And that's what we've we've become. And that's how we get everyone to work together in sync. That's how it moves slowly. And I think that's why, you know, and I and I say this, people ask me all the time, like, what was it like being on Top Chef Masters? It's literally every day at the restaurant, just yeah. not in your restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, it's like and, okay. Today you're on the side of the Grand Canyon. Make dinner. Yeah. It's raining out. Okay, I've done that before. The ceiling was leaking, and we had 150 guests in the dining room. Right. Yeah. Done. And by the way, the event's going to party. I know we told you it's going to be on this floor. It's going to be on the rooftop. That's cool, right? And we're going to have this camera. It's all good, right? <laughs> all good. <laughs> we just. It's a just a different different scenery. Same problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh, all the ups and downs. But um, you know, we got I got a very exciting fall. Um, we're doing a project down by World Trade Center actually. There's a new performance space in New York opening called Pack NYC, where we do our new restaurant called Metropolis. And I'm super excited. We're working with Chef Ed Tinaco that done 10 years um over with uh Gant over at uh, Alinea. And he's a New York kid and it's coming, it's a homecoming for him. And we're in the middle of our R&D right now. And I'm just getting my ass kicked by Ed every day. It's great. 
and doesn't make me happier than just like he's <laughs> like no this is how we can do it well this is a different way to do it and just like it's just been fun to cook with him and, and chef marcelo you know he's marcelo brazilian portuguese ed is mexican new york kid you know from queens and we just we're just we're putting the band together you know it's fun it's been that's great. awesome that's yeah awesome. yeah we're very and also arts working in the performance center is cool because we know there will be other creatives in the dining room or in the in the building right that you know do what not exactly what we do but do similar things so you know the room will always have a certain level of creatives in there and that that speaks to me like that makes me comfortable you know yeah i always like to say at the restaurant like every time a plate goes to the table the curtain opens yeah that plate's removed the curtain closes next act curtain, yeah. open, curtain opens new dish comes down and i think yeah. that's that's a, you know, it's exactly that feel of having creatives around you and having people because that breeds more creativity and it breeds excitement and that, mm -hmm. that want for knowledge and moving forward. Yeah, no, it's been, it's, uh, I knew coming back from, we still live in this post COVID world, right? So I needed to focus on joy. And if I build a restaurant, I needed to bring some level of joy to it. You know, and last year we were building Hob Mar and it's brought enormous amount of joy, you know, working with Chef Ferriel, focusing on working with women of color at the leadership position, working with an artist to create the space, a true artist in Chelsea. So for me, working with Derek Adams, like, I know it's very selfish, but if I can't create it, if I don't feel that level of joy, and I know my restaurant won't get better if there's, you know, what's the point? So it's been um, it's been really inspiring to open these two restaurants and uh, enjoy it. Not just, yeah, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Actually, no, love it. Go to work with that little smirk on your face. You don't know if you're going to figure it out. But it's like you're, you're cooking, you're living, and it's been great. It's been fun. So I really privilege and appreciate the opportunity to go back in, you know, to come back in that i think that right now that's what everybody's looking for that yeah joy in not only making people happy but also the joy in ourselves making people happy so i'm so, I'm so excited that you're opening uh next because i love san francisco i love the bay and my last two trips over there like everybody we're all concerned it's a city that we all love it's a twin city that we all love and what's the vibe now like what's the mood of this you know it's it's the, one of the most famous cities in the world and food has always technology of course but food has always been san francisco's sort of epicenter for right so when san francisco san francisco stops pushing it's a big part of american food stops pushing so what's happening um so the new property well it's not new it's, it's almost 100 years old nick's cove is in marshall so it's along the one it's in west marin near up mm -hmm. by um it's on tamales bay um and that's going to be an old it's i'm reviving the old seafood house that it was yeah. you know being from new england and growing up in rhode island but san francisco right now it's going through a bit of a low and this isn't the first one we've gone through yeah. we've gone through many right there was big one in 79 you know we've had three dot com rises and busts it's just a blip and it'll change um you know the the the, the focus of 
the culinary scene has drifted from downtown to the neighborhoods. Okay. The neighborhoods out by the beaches. Um, I live in the inner sunset and the sunset and the Richmond district. Those neighborhoods are really doing well. Nice. Um, in, I love inner Richmond. It's one of my favorite neighborhoods. I'm, There's like three climates in inner Richmond. <laughs> oh, yeah, for exactly. So those neighborhoods are really are what's growing right now with yes. it's the neighborhood restaurant it's the neighborhood markets there's a lot of things happening but there's still brilliant food happening here of course I just think you know unfortunately as you know um media portrays always the worst right and yeah, 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 yeah. off each other right mm -hmm. uh, and if that continues to happen then you start to see the demise right and i think right now what we need is is everybody to kind of pull up their bootstraps and mm -hmm. just truck forward. You know, people moved here in the gold rush for an opportunity. That's what's yeah. unique about San Francisco, right? It's, you had the sexual revolution here. You had the Grateful Dead. You've had mm -hmm. street, you've had the tech boom. We've had tech yeah. busts, but the culinary world, I mean, what is it? 85% of the, of the wine and, and produce come out of California that gets, yeah. you know, distributed to the rest of the country. So, you know, it's, it'll change. It'll come back to it, its glory again. Great. Great. I love that. I mean, it's so, but it's important that you talk about that and, and, and that we hear those stories. And I do love that. Yes, that makes sense. The neighborhood's food scene's going to improve, right? Because that's where the rent's going to be more affordable. And that's where the people yeah. now are not going necessarily. Everyone's going downtown to the offices. That makes perfect sense. So it's like, so nice to hear that whether it's a, there is a level of, you know, we're turning a page and and that, you know, creativity is not going to be stopped, right? Like that's how most scenes, when one scene goes down, there's another scene like, you know, there's a punk scene, there's a hip hop scene, there's a whatever that scene is always going to open up another door. And I, I love, I love that, you know, that's great. Yeah, you know? it's a, it's a good, it, it's, it's a time of rebuild as I like to call it. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, the rest of the country, everybody's rebuilding from COVID, but this is a time for San Francisco to rebuild itself. And and it's always reinvented itself. Mm -hmm. That's what that's it right. is. And that's I think right. that's what's made it unique. So Marcus, I know you've got a busy schedule. Yeah. Play a quick game here. Yes. Right? You ready? Oh, yeah, no I'm wrong ready. answers. Coffee or tea? In Ethiopia, I have to say coffee, but tea is probably better for me at this age. And this is this point in my life with coffee. <laughs> milk or no milk? No milk. Pancakes or waffles? Oh, pancakes. I make pancakes. For my son and daughter, four days a week, three days a week, yeah. Oatmeal, yogurt. Yogurt. Bacon, sausage. Ooh. I would say sausage probably because you can go, you, you can go more variations. Yeah, yeah. Chicken, duck. Or chicken, I would say chicken. Beef, pork. Mm, porky. Quail squab. Squab. Hamburger hot dog. Hamburger. Ketchup or mustard? Uh, mustard. Well, you know, it's interesting because you can make some really good ketchups too. So, you know, ketchup, you know, that I would probably say, uh, screw it, mustard. Hold <laughs> on the ketchup. Whole grain or Dijon? Oh, no, not Dijon. No, no, whole grain. You make it yourself. No, 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 no. no. You got to make like a little honey in there. Like you got it. Taco or a burrito? Taquito. Pasta or noodles? 
Oh, noodles, noodles, noodles. Ravioli dumplings. Dumplings. Raw oysters, raw clams. Ooh, that's a good one. Gooey duck. Ah, nice. Lobster or crab? Oh, crabito, crabito, crab. Okay, sea urchin caviar. Oh, sea urchin. That's nothing. Meatball or sausage? I gotta go meatball. I'm sorry. <laughs> I grew up with it. Pizza style. Ooh, Naples. Red wine, white wine. Right now it's summer here, so I'm on this orange trip. You know, into you know, so orange has been it's been a lot of orange this you know late summer. Light beer, dark beer. Uh lighter. I don't like light beer per se when they call light beer, but I do like a lighter beer because um uh, just like I can keep moving, right? And that's so much about like I don't want to feel stuck. White spirits, dark spirits. Ooh, darky, darky. Champagne, Prosecco, Cava, Lambrusco. Champagne, champagne. Ice cream, soft serve, or gelato? I do like soft serve, but I'm going to say ice cream. I'm just stubborn like that. I just made too many ice creams and thought I had it and didn't have them. Too many mistakes. A cup or a cone? Cone, cone, definitely. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, waffle cone, sugar cone, styrofoam cone. No, 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 waffle, waffle, yeah. Chocolate or fruit? Fruit, I got it, yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. Fruit. Honey or maple syrup? Mm, honey. My restaurant is called Hav Mar, which is ocean in Swedish, and Mar means honey in Ethiopian, so I better say uh, <laughs> honey. I have no choice. Favorite candy? Um, sour fish, sweet sour fish. Guilty pleasure? Bourbon. Last meal? I would, I would do two courses. I would start with herring. Uh, and then I would finish it with a really nice spicy Ethiopian Dorawat and say, that's all he wrote. Marcus, thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. This is awesome. I'm so happy you're doing this. You're going to make so many people happy and make people think. And it's going to be great for each chef or food personality you bring in to just share and talk to you. So thank you for doing this, Chris. Really thank appreciate you. you. So Marcus, right. if people are looking to find you, where's the best way for them to find you? Marcus Cooks. Marcus Cooks. There you go, everybody. All make right. sure you check out what he's doing. Um, Marcus is everywhere. Uh, and uh, he's always fun to be around. So enjoy. For having me, buddy. I really appreciate it.